Ah, yes, it's OGP, the one giant podcast. Where, of course, we're your hosts over here, Adam Armbrecht, covering still the Brooklyn Nets as they move into their offseason over on the Locked On Nets podcast with my boy Doug Norrie, joined as always by the healthy, wealthy, and wise season generational ticket holder, uh, you know, ear to the czar of the New York fo- football giants regime with John Mara pipeline rate to ownership. And that is one Andy Macklin's straight to the top. Adam, we are only a couple of days away and man, it really does start feeling, you know, I usually temper expectations in the off season. You're a guy that wants to go mocking right as the super bowl is about to start. I'm a guy that it. needs a little bit more time to develop, but I got to say, if you're a giants fan, you have to be fired up this week especially a couple days away, knowing that the Giants are going to draft maybe five or six guys that might be able to contribute to this roster this season. Yeah, that's the idea, right, man? That's the premise is that when things are bad, you have a lot of assets to improve your team, right? And that's why. That's why a guy like me gets into the mock drafts right around the Super Bowl because the New York football Giants haven't been any near, anywhere near one in quite some time. That being the case, before we dive in on updating what's going on at the top of the draft, there's there's a n- number of different voices, both plugged tightly into the Giants and more broader NFL uh, minds that are kind of predicting where Big Blue could go. Just a quick footnote, we wrapped up yesterday's episode before this information came in, and I'm just going to set the table with this reminder of a quote. Being on time, working hard, all the things that we talk about, all these players and all the new coaches, including myself, it's a clean slate. That was Brian Dable when he came on board saying what the expectations were for this roster. I don't know if Kadarius Tony fully understood it included him, but he seemed to have gotten the message as he showed up to the voluntary minicamp uh, yesterday. Listen, for all intents and purposes, this is a guy that does it completely take the trade prospect off the table? I don't think so. But it certainly sent a message. I think he received that message. And as we always say, the best foot forward is showing up and showing that you're capable and ready to play. Whatever happens from here is fine. He's in camp. That's what matters. Yeah. And the idea of what they were going to trade him for, like 50 cents on the dollar when the Giants are devoid of talent and depth along their roster, like it didn't really make sense. I disagree with you on that point, but that's okay. Yeah. But well, yes, I understand you have a different perspective, but the whole idea never really made sense to me anyway, especially if it was just because he missed the first voluntary workout. If there's things behind the scenes that we maybe don't know know about that were causing problems for yeah, the new regime, yes, then, maybe, then maybe that's the case. Yeah, yeah. The, yeah, the idea of trading him because he missed mini, a voluntary minicamp would be nuts. But if there was something more, if there's some more smoke to that or some fire to that smoke, let's say. Um, and the other thing is you can just briefly let's let's touch on um while while Kadarius Tony may not be going anywhere, there is potentially another wide receiver for the New York football giants that could be on the move. Yeah, Dan, Dan Duggan uh reported it through the athletic, I I believe. Um he talked about some news and notes from the Giants uh about the draft and the offseason. And one thing that popped up that he was kind of surprised that people were surprised about is that the Giants uh, are actively looking to shop Darius Slayton. And mm-hmm. to me, it, it makes all the sense in the world. It, it never, to, this is to my point, it never really made sense that you were going to move on from Kadarius Tony unless there was m- bigger issues going on. But Darius Slayton is a prime trade candidate when a new regime comes in. He is a guy that is, is in the final year of his contract. You don't know if you're going to re-up him. He costs $2.5 million against the cap. As Dan Duggan pointed out, if you traded him even for any kind of mid-round pick that you could get, uh, a replacement for him in the fifth round would, would cost about 800 k In in a year where the dollars and cents mean so much, it makes all the sense in the world for Joe Shane to look at moving a guy like Darius Slayton to reset the clock and get younger uh, you know, across the wide receiver room. 
Yeah, I agree with the idea of getting younger and resetting the clock. I think that, again, they like I don't think that they'd be having this conversation if they weren't so desperate for money, right? We don't know what's going to happen with James Bradbury. We know when this rookie class comes in, you're going to need to sign them. While I don't, I don't anticipate Darius Slayton being a part of this roster in the grand scheme of things, when you look inside that wide receiver room, you go, well, if you take one away... Now you got to bring one in. And even though I've talked about and we've looked at prospects later in the draft at wide receiver and higher at certain points, right? That I think is the weird premise. So maybe when it comes to draft day or on you know, the second day, when you're talking second round, maybe it's 67. If the Giants get a wide receiver, now all of a sudden that trade becomes a lot more of a viable option for the New York football Giants. So while maybe there's something happening there, I wouldn't anticipate it happening before you get to the draft and the Giants maybe have some sense of where the board is going to fall. That being the case, though, let's get back into it. We laid out the Vegas odds yesterday at the top, some movement. You know, Walker is now entrenched there, it looks like, at the at the high end there. It's the first, first pick for the Jacksonville Jaguars. But now there's two and three that seem to be solidifying as well. And I think, you know, I, I have a question I was going to pose around the Giants, five and seven, and then even beyond it. But what's happening at the top? maybe crystallizes kind of the decision-making process for the Giants because it gets a little bit more almost straightforward seeing who could be going where. Yeah, we mentioned that if Trayvon Walker goes number one, it, it starts to simplify the board, I think, for the Giants. And the new news that's coming out after Trayvon Walker has been skyrocketing up, as you mentioned, the Vegas odds, is that it basically makes the Detroit Lions with the number two pick run to the podium and draft Aiden Hutchinson, guy from the University of Michigan, position of need, like hometown guy, perfect story for them. Everyone's coming out saying that that would be a done deal if um, Trayvon Walker goes number one. Vegas supports that again. And, and so when you already have those two guys going off the board, that eliminates two variables in front of the Giants and starts to say, OK, now we only have the Houston Texans and the Jets in front of the Giants. What's going on with them? And the mm -hmm. latest buzz with Houston is is basically two different positions. One is offensive tackle. If they don't believe that Laramie Tunsil is going to be there long term, you know, he does turn 27. They're trying to turn over with a new regime there. And Sauce Gardner is kind of the guy right there. So you're talking about an offensive tackle, maybe a cornerback at three, and the Jets have been linked heavily to both an offensive tackle, but more importantly, Kayvon Thibodeau. And so what that does is it kind of starts showing the board a little bit more for the Giants. It, you know, if there's no surprises, which we know that there are in the draft, you start thinking, okay, maybe one of the three offensive tackles will be there. There's a potential that if not, a cornerback could be there or an edge rusher. And then the Giants have their decisions at, at, at the fifth pick. Yeah, my, you know, it's funny. You mentioned some of these names there. When you talk about Neil and Houston, right, and what they're going to look to do there. Remember yesterday we talked about what's the pick going to be. I said, and we'll get into this in a second, around Cross being a viable option there. Um, there there's indications that John Mara, in the same way that he was smitten with, uh, you know, Daniel Jones, just you know, to compare it as far as, far as the prospect and the value, which is the guy that he really felt strongly about. Cross is starting to get some of that buzz, and when you look at the top, maybe the Giants and Giants fans should start to be pretty big in on on Charles Cross for the sake that Evan Neal might not even be there anymore. Right? We've been talking about these ideas where. Oh, so many options at five. Anything is possible. But now, you know, I'm starting to think like Neil being gone by three doesn't seem entirely unrealistic here. Now, now you're down to just a quantum and cross potentially as you wait for what the Jets will do. Don't you just love when owners think that they're talent evaluators because they own a football team and they get to watch it? And like, yes, you get it to call the, the shots. Mix. Like, like, you know, Jerry Jones had to be like, 
put in a straight jacket to not draft Johnny Manziel a few years ago, right? Like that was his, his like prized possession. And like the team had to be like, please don't do this. I know that you ultimately get the final say, but don't you love when, when owners meddle, when they think that they're talent evaluators, when like there's guys that like Joe Shane, who's put in the work and flown around to every small time community college known to man to, to figure out what scouting is. And then they're like, but the owner kind of likes this one guy. He really likes him. You know, he saw him, he saw some highlight of him, you know, you know, making a tackle. And he's like, that's the guy I want. Right. I, I put in, uh, you know, Joe Shane goes, I put in like uh, 183 hours, you know, over the last two days, it's not even mathematically possible, but I'm doing the work. I'm scouting these guys. And like, to your point, Mary goes, yeah, you know, I was watching sports center and uh, they showed the kid, he was wearing some shorts, doing a little bit of a jog. And I thought, eh, kind of like it kind of like what I'm seeing here. I think they might be our guy. I can um, see the giant's helmet on him right now, Joe. That like I can see him wearing the giant's helmet. You're like, oh, okay, you can see that. Perfect. I was over on Twitter and somebody had done a mock-up image where he was wearing our uniform, and it looked good. It looked pretty good to me. Um, the thing is now though, too, uh, how much of a world do you think there is? Because you talk about you know different teams have different expectations. Um, certain teams are trying to rebuild their culture, right, and have quality players that are squeaky clean on and off the field. When we talk about getting through one, two, and three now, you know, there's this world where two offensive linemen are gone by the time the Giants come up, right? If Houston goes with Neil and then up come the Jets, and yeah, maybe they do like Sauce Gardner, but maybe he's already gone by that point. Maybe they like Thibodeau, but he's not as clean of a prospect as you might prefer for whatever, however much stock you want to put into it. If they go, what if they go? Let's say they go cross because the Giants seem to maybe like him. If their top two choices go off the board, is there any concern around the idea of the Giants sitting there at five and being like, oh, yeah, well, this is obviously the guy that we were after for whether or not people agreed at the time the Giants took Andrew Thomas because that was their guy, right? There's a world where the Giants are just left with something at the offensive line. Would that change at all? your perspective on what they do at five in terms of positional needs? Well, that's the tough part because we, we hear a lot of smoke and you're going to go into some, some Jordan Renan, Peter Very King, smoke. some, some, some different people putting out some different reports. I understand the belief around um, cross. Like I get why people are excited because he, he is so good at pass protection, but there is like Andre Dillard was an offensive tackle that came from Mike Leach's system, got drafted really high as well, had the same type of, of thought about him, and he flamed out really quick because it's just a, a funky air raid system. So you're not really like, you know, standard NFL practices. I'm not necessarily as high on cross as, as I know you are, Adam. The, mm-hmm. the thing is, if if you're okay, like to me, Aquanu and Neil, if either of them is available at five, that is the selection for me. I prefer Neil over Aquanu. If, they, if you see a considerable drop off from those two guys to cross and you, and you say, wow, sauce Gardner is that type of cornerback that could be a pro Bowl type of cornerback. Right, then I, he's there then obviously. Yeah. Right. Cause if the other two, so, so if Hutchinson and Trayvon Walker go one, two cross and Aquanu go three, four, then you're guaranteed to have some kind of sauce Gardner, Thibodeau cross situation. And to me, if you really had him ranked third and, and he's, he's, you know, athletically or whatever it may be below where you have sauce Gardner or Thibodeau or whomever, then, then I think it'll get a little bit interesting for the giants. Like they have to address the offensive tackle and maybe that comes at seven, but like, I I don't know. I'm starting to think if the two offensive tackles are there, do the giants, are they just forced to take cross? Even though to your point, they may just say he was number one on our board, no matter what. 
Yeah, and I think maybe that's a, you know that's the question. We said this a lot, right? It's like, do they only really love one of them? Do they love all three of them? Do they only love two? That, that that's all it comes down to. The funny thing is, Carolina's been mentioned as a team that could be looking to trade out of six when they move there, but they also would be someone who is in the market for an offensive lineman. So at that point, you know, the Giants could say, if Gardner's there at five, boy, we love it. We're so happy that he fell to us. And then there could be no offensive lineman there, and you could be talking about, are we are we now thinking about trading down? We're looking now back into the middle there of the first round in the 20s where the Trevor Pennings and Zion Johnsons who are not now, you got some guys playing tackle, some guys playing inside the offensive line, right? So now all of a sudden you're trying to reset the evaluation of we all we all assume it's about getting the right tackle, getting the right tackle, getting the right tackle. But if things fall a different way, they could be looking at the idea of can we add a couple of talented players on the interior and see when tackle comes up. Well, and and that's the big thing, because I have been like, we need to come out of this draft with an offensive tackle. But if you truly believe what Brian Dable and Joe Shane are saying about how this is a multi-year rebuild, like, do you really want to reach with one of those high first-round picks on an offensive tackle that you don't necessarily believe in just to fill a roster spot when Mm -hmm. maybe you just say, okay, there's a couple of second or third round offensive tackle talents that maybe could fill the position or compete for for a job, knowing that this is a multi-year build. And then when we have cap space go out and get a right tackle for 10 or 12 million dollars in the open market next year so I, I struggle with this because i really want the giants to fix the offensive line but i just don't want them to just pick a guy just to pick someone sure. when like maybe you could fill in a guard spot with the second or third round pick and actually make the line a little bit better and set yourself up better for the future of course then this is why it gets so murky yesterday it seemed like everything was perfect today it feels oh. like the giants could have real decisions to make Let's go ahead and piss Andy off here. Um, I was taking a look around, you know, just the NFL, seeing where some of the voices are going from a projection standpoint. So we talk about Peter King, obviously a big voice around the NFL. Um, He mentions talking about that Neil would obviously be a viable option really from a, you know, you'd say, well, cross may be the, the logical from a fit perspective with what the Giants want to do schematically. But Neil's a player who played both left and right tackle in college. Uh, you have Cross, who played primarily on the left side. So there's a little bit of a of an adjustment there, certainly, if you choose to go with Cross. But as Peter King notes, Cross, one GM told me, is the best pass protector of the three top tackles and a power forward type. And by the way, yesterday I listed him as being 310, 315. He is now up at 6'7", 335. So that makes a big difference when you're comparing the weight and size and mass of some of these big bodies. Uh, competitive on day one against good edge rushers. If the Giants are comfortable enough with his ability to play the right side, this is a solid pick. So that's not the part that pisses Andy off. We, you can have a discrepancy around who you like more or not, whatever. It's an offensive tackle, and that's what he's about. However, <sighs> while Peter King wouldn't be shocked if the Giants go Thibodeau at seven, should he be available? There's a lot of stuff out there in the ether right now about the Giants being down on Thibodeau, but I can tell you they're interested and have done a ton of work on him. But because of that, maybe, and the positional value. Peter King has the New York football Giants going with Hamilton. Safety out of Notre Dame, despite the fact that the Giants have a good young third-year safety in Xavier McKinney. New defensive coordinator Wink Martindale loves versatile safeties and the six-foot-four, 220-pounder out of Notre Dame. It is exactly the kind of player he would love to have. Andy, just take a breath of fresh air as it all comes to fruition for you no worries you get exactly what you wanted a safety in the top seven 
You know, I also heard a rumor that our special teams coordinator loves punters that can pin people deep. I, that's what I heard. Like, loves, like, I know we don't use him very often, but loves a guy that can cough and corner, you know, with the best of them and, and just really set up the defense really well. And so, like, maybe with the seventh pick, we can we can go with that positional value because he could really flip the field for us. Peter like, King says that the NFL views Hamilton as a unicorn in this draft. Please continue. Oh, oh, so like that other unicorn, like Isaiah Simmons that came out of Clemson, that they're like, he's a unicorn. unicorn he could play cornerback in, in you know slot cornerback. He could play linebacker. He could play safety. And then the NFL, they're like, what position can you play? We need to put you in one. We can't put you in all three. And like, Clearly, the Cardinals have struggled with someone like him. But again, this is what drives me nuts. It's like people don't actually put all the pieces together. It's not just about Kyle Hamilton being the best player available. Sure, we all know that his talent at that time could be the best talent and could be the best player available. But can we talk about need and can we talk about scheme fit? And I don't know how many times I have to say this. I believe Xavier McKinney is a top what five or six safety in the league. Like I do believe that. And he's only got room to grow being in his third year. So we already have that piece covered in terms of the need. We already have a star in the making at at the safety position. Mm-hmm. We showed how valuable safeties were when we let Landon Collins go. We cut Logan Ryan. We've just moved on from safeties left and right. But the other pieces, as I mentioned before, that, that was a terrible example. Don't ever say that. Landon Collins was awful. So after he well, left, like he, he didn't do anything after he left the Giants. Like that was the right. But game. I'm saying, but I'm saying, you, you go up and you get a safety, and he's going to get fifteen million dollars in the open market. It just shows the devaluement of, of how many safeties you actually need that are competent. Oh, right, saying. right, right. Yeah, paying the second sure, piece. Sure. Yeah, the second piece of it is Wink Bartondale's preference is to play cover one, which means one safety on the field the majority of times. He likes to confuse defenses with linebackers and cornerbacks, which is why I'd be completely fine if they wanted to go Sauce Gardner in in the first round because I understand that is a perfect fit for Wink Martindale's system. Like, check a box, Sauce Gardner. Man, would he thrive in Wink Martindale's system. If you're you're drafting Kyle Hamilton and you're playing cover one the majority of the time, then you're saying Kyle Hamilton either has to be like a shadow linebacker or he's just not going to be on the field unless Xavier McKinney gets hurt or in two cover two sets. So like with a first round pick, you cannot pick a guy that doesn't really fill a massive positional need. Doesn't have massive value in Wink Martindale's system. And we already have an all pro, uh, you know, waiting in the wings that, that is ready to flourish in year three. So I can't stress enough. I, it, if the choices between came on Thibodeau and Kyle Hamilton at seven, it would be malpractice for Joe Shane to pick Kyle Hamilton at seven. Malpractice. Full stop. So Andy likes safeties, and I think probably pretty high is my general impression there. Let's go ahead and keep the ball rolling. I like I like to get Andy gassed up. I'm happy. I don't think you know he hasn't been worked up in a while. Whereas I, you know, Andy keeps doing things, obviously egregious statements around the podcast that force me to just kind of reset the table. It's like you know, you know, what's ironic here. I'm not even gonna, I'm not even gonna let you respond to this. I'm gonna move right on after it. But it's ironic that you talk about positional value yet you're obsessed with Saquon Barkley and why he should be on this roster. It's absolutely insane that you can't seem to connect those two things uh, together. But that's neither here nor there. The other piece then that we can talk about, and this will tie us back around to the top of the draft here momentarily, is Ryan Dunleavy uh, had also speculated that the Giants are high on cornerback Kyir Elam out of Florida. 
The problem is, is that this is a guy that's going somewhere in the mid twenties of the first round, potentially maybe the back end of the first round, not likely he's going to last to 36, but he brings up something that ties into GM for the Pittsburgh Steelers and Colbert, who kind of said, yeah, we're always guesstimating what the cost will be to move from 20 to seven and from 20 back down to 32. And you always want to be making those assessments. People are like connecting the insane dots here because by the way, inside of his quote, he basically said, what does it mean to move up? What does it mean to move back? He didn't say, what is it to trade with the New York football giants? And what is it to trade with the Detroit Lions at 32? But the fact that he mentioned seven means that the giants can, we can at least, enter into that conversation when we put Adam wait but wait but wait Uh, what I do find interesting is you say 32 as in move back to the last pick in the draft and then as an example you'd think you'd be like what does it cost to move to number one right but instead of number seven which is like where the Giants want to trade out of where a quarterback could be played like it it's it's too convenient for him to just casually throw the number seven out there, right? Like okay. that, that maybe, maybe maybe you're right. I also think too, like it's also again when we talk about the top of the draft here, it's also this combination of well, we're seeing the way the board is building out at the top. There's certain guys that look like they're locking into certain teams, liking them. We know positional value, Sauce Gardner will be gone, right? Like the more guys that you list that you know are gonna be gone one through five, one through six, like you start to come to a place and if you're right. If he had said six or seven, that would have just been lumping in Carolina. Who's talked about trading out. Maybe that would have watered it down a little bit, but essentially though, I mean, when you think about it, there's not a lot of other teams in the top 10, as it stands right now, the only two teams you'd say in this moment that are looking to trade out would be the Carolina Panthers or the New York football giants. Everybody else wants to be taking players that they like, wants to be filling needs. Even the jets who are at, four and 10 because of how far apart they are and the needs they have. It's almost like, yeah, it feels pretty good to stay here. But what I will say is when you combine these two things together, you end up with a scenario of saying like, well, the giants really like Elam, but there's no, they're not taking him at the top of the draft. He's not going to be there at 36, but if they were drafting at 20, following a trade down with the Pittsburgh Steelers, suddenly the, the meeting of need and fit would really come together. I mean, did you, do you see that being where the Giants would go in a trade down scenario? Because I, I think I look, it really depends here, but I look at it as if you're trading back, even if you got Neil or Cross at the top of the draft and you traded out of seven, I'd be even more thinking along the lines of, well, Zion Johnson's going to be there. Like, let's go ahead and just double down and get this thing looking sexy across the front. So a couple things. One is I don't understand this idea, and this this happens all the time, and you can book it down, it'll probably happen again next draft. Is like only teams want to move out of the of the top 10 picks. Nobody wants to move up right now. And why is that? Because teams in the top 10 that stink are basically saying, we're open for business. If anyone wants to come to us, let us know. We're willing to trade back because we need more assets because we're not very good. We don't have very much depth, right? And the teams that are in the 20s, we're relatively good fringe playoff teams. We're pretty, you know, maybe one or two players away. There's no reason why any of those GMs would raise their hand a week in advance and say, we're looking to move up and we're willing to give up a ton of picks to do it because they lose all the leverage that you have. If you're, if you're actively saying we're trying to move up, then teams know that you are trying to do that and you may have to give more to do it. 
it makes no sense that whatsoever. A, but isn't that a, that's a two-way street, though? Teams that say they're looking to move out of the top 10, it goes, great, okay, you're looking to move out. Why am I going to give you max value when you want to move down from five or seven or six or whatever the number may be? Like, why am I going to give you the max? You want to come out of there. Sure, there's attractive players there, and you, you have to come up to get that talent and the quarterback piece, which we talked about before. I couldn't disagree more. Teams that just go ahead and say, well, I need a quarterback, so obviously I have to go up to get them. And I think some teams fall into that bad logic around it. But it, 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 that, especially in a, in a year like this, and I, 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 do get, I do get your point, and it's always, it always ends up being the case. A year like this, where, again, the QB class seems devoid of talent. Like, go back to Daniel Jones' draft year, right? If not for the New York football giants, there would have been this massive gap before more quarterbacks came off the board, probably. You talk about where Dwayne Haskins ends up getting taken in the teens, right? Whereas this year, I mean, yeah, Malik Willis, I guess, is the one guy that gets talked about in that way. But even him, right? Like even he, I think I just saw an article where that when they talked with Malik Willis, he goes, yeah, I think 20 is like kind of my floor. That's like the lowest spot that I think I go. Like even the best QB prospect in this draft is like, I don't think I'll go much later than 20, but I'm kind of comfortable with the idea that my name doesn't get called. So there, this year, certain years, not just this year, but certain years feel different to, to other ones. And that's what makes it interesting as far as if Pittsburgh wants to come up, it'll be very, it'll be very interesting to see if that goes down and you say, what did the value end up being relative to other years when teams have moved up? Because it won't be this one-to-one. You're getting a Peyton Manning. No, you're, you're taking a bit of a gamble. So so the one difference between trading up and trading, ba- uh, trading down, and I'll just give it as a quick example, trading out of the top 10, you're basically saying we just want accumulation of, of draft picks for a later date. Like we, we need more later. Where, where when you're trading up, you've identified a singular player that you think is worth giving up draft capital to improve your team significantly. It's just a difference in mentality of like what you need to do. There's going to be multiple trade-ups in the first round. Mark my words, it happens every year. Oh, well, especially in a draft like this class, right? Because you have so many teams with multiple first-round picks, right? So it's also unique in that regard where the Giants, the Jets, right? So many teams can go, yeah, you want to trade up and take a pick for me? Great. I still have another one that I can work with here, which changes their, their dynamic of what they're willing to do. And, and Daniel Jeremiah on a, on a different podcast came out and he's, he's mentioned it a few times. He said, yeah, he wouldn't be surprised if the first quarterback off the board is to the Steelers at the 20th pick. Like he's mm. like, he doesn't know if you need to go trade up. And now what he's saying is knowing that it might be 19 or 18 because a team that didn't want to spend <laughs> right, the top five right. pick might yeah. have to jump in front of the Steelers. And then it's like, okay, well, when does that, that game of chess end? And so I, I do get it. My, I think it's tough. If the Giants trade out of seven, they have to get a first round pick for next year for it. Like there's no almost if, ands, or buts. Unless you're saying we can move back one or two spots and still get the cornerback or offensive tackle or edge rusher that we couldn't get. So I think that there's still some options for the Giants. Uh, I'm I'm curious to see if a team moves up. I still think if the board plays out the right way, I could see the Giants trading out of five and moving back. And, and having a team come up to get Malik Willis if that's what they really care about. Because to your yeah, point, enough. if you like him at 12, you like him at 5, if he's going to be your franchise quarterback, you go get him and you don't worry about anything else. Well, this is always the logic I never understand. It's when, you know, again, now it's bad It's bad sample size when Daniel Jones may not be working out here. But again, when the Giants said they wanted him, it was like, oh, you don't know, whatever. Like, okay, but that's that, that was the pick. Now, again, in that particular draft class, you had pick 17. Could you have gotten him there? Whatever. But it's like, if you like the prospect, you like the prospect within reason, right? Don't go taking a punter in the fifth overall pick, but it's okay to kind of be have a conviction around it. I'd prefer that right or wrong. And someone that says, you know, ah, well, we'll see how the board kind of falls to us and we'll kind of shoot from the hip here. The last thing then that I'll mention is 
Um, Jordan Renan said also when we talk about at the top of the draft here that the two players that the Giants really like and prefer, and this is why it's hilarious when we talk about Peter King as well, are, of course, Evan Neal and then also cornerback Sauce Gardner. The question is whether or not they'll be available at pick five or at pick seven because they're both rumored to be potential fits at number three for the Houston Texans. And this is where, so we, we can talk about, do I think that Jordan Renan is more plugged in with the Giants and what they're looking to accomplish probably than, say, Peter King, who's maybe doing it more as a player evaluation standpoint and saying, oh, when you see a guy like Hamilton, you have to feel like there's a real opportunity to have success, right? He's a unicorn. You take him as opposed to needs. But if I said something like, and you can follow up with other thoughts, but when we talk about this comparison of, and I'm laying it out here if you're on YouTube, Neil Thibodeau Gordon. So we're talking about what you do at five, at seven, and at 36 versus if Gardner is there for you and you take Gardner and then it's cross and then I listed it as Boye Mafa here. Could be Ebikidi out of Penn State, an edge rusher. Do you have do you have like a conviction around what is the better, you know, what's the best version of this thing as opposed to, because you don't know which way it's going to go, right? Or do you look at both of these scenarios and say, yeah, I can explain why this is quality on either side. So let me go into the Jordan Renan, Peter King piece of it first. This is why <laughs> this is why local beat writers are so much more important than like national pundits. Like, you know, I'm not going to bash certain guys, but but like Colin Coward will just like parachute into a team and pretend like he knows what their draft strategy should be when he hasn't like even heard one thing about what mm-hmm. what the GM cares about, how the coach is, what scheme they're going to be playing. Peter King, obviously a well-respected guy, but he he doesn't understand a lot of what the Giants are looking for. Like saying Kyle Hamilton at seven makes no sense to me. And and I thought it was odd that he said Kyle Hamilton just in general when we talk about like where his stock seems to be right now. Like it seems like he's a guy that's going to go like if you're at 10 to 13 or 14, whatever, like that's a great spot to steal a player like that. Like I haven't heard a lot of people talk about him being in the top seven or eight anymore. And this, and this is why Peter King is at the top of his game because there's also other factors that factor into why he's saying these things. Clear. Maybe he's friends with an agent. Maybe he has a close relationship with another general manager or Joe Shane, and he needs to be able to put these things out there as feelers to be able to continue to get the information that he needs to be successful at his job. And Adam, mm-hmm. I, I keep harping on it, and I know that – it's the one thing that you love about me is I'm a, I'm a gambling guy. I'm a Vegas guy. And why is that important Vegas, is because, baby. you know, Peter King can throw that out in the ether and, and he's like a baseball player. If he hits on 25% of the time, then he could start, you know, at, at whatever right now, when you look at Jordan Renan saying, you know, sauce Gardner could go at seven sauce Gardner is the number one Vegas odds guy to go at number seven to the giants. Kyle Hamilton is like seventh on the list at 20 to one. And it just shows that like, I go where the money is, right? Vegas is willing to put the money on the table and say, we are this confident and we're going to allow betting this way because we're that confident that this guy has has the, the best odds to do it. So for me, I, I just immediately think guys like Jordan Renan are plugged in. He talks about Neil and Sauce Gardner. I think that would be a home run for the Giants if they walk away at five and seven with that. But in the longer term, when you're asking which of these setup is better, I, honestly, it doesn't it doesn't really matter to me. As long as they're addressing the three areas of need with the first three picks, that's that's the most important thing to me. We talked about Neil or Aquanu or Cross. I like Neil the most. I do. If they walk away with Cross, am I going to be upset? No. I like Thibodeau more than I like Mafe, and, and there's a reason. One is going in the top 
10, one's going at 35. Like I, I understand the dichotomy of this, but if we walk away with three football players at three areas of need that can start from day one, that to me is the success. And like, we can squabble over like whose hands are bigger and who can jump off the line more. But at the end of the day, I just want three football players that can contribute tomorrow. No, a hundred percent. Um, and I think when I look inside of that, like I probably like 98.3% agree with you on it. I think the difference is maybe in the case of Gardner is the way that he's getting talked about, right? You're getting, he's being talked about as being a top five cornerback in the league from day number one. And that's something that really excites me. And it's difficult when we're talking about edge rushers and getting after the quarterback and those things, you know how much we need. And that's where it gets interesting. And when I look at these comps, it's also, if I feel pretty good, if I feel a little bit better about cross than maybe you do, that's going to change my ratio slightly there. But the, the cornerback piece is interesting. It's hard though. When I look at these man, cause again, I'm, I'm a fan of Kyler Gordon there at the top of the second round too. So like, there's these scenarios where I'm like, I'm done, you know, it's almost like I'm talking down about a player that I'd actually be really excited if they took. And in that regard, you know, Giants fans should be feel pretty good about what they can come out of here, regardless of if things go, quote unquote, the worst possible way at the top, still going to end up with talent falling to you, still going to have options, whether it's drafting at those spots, trading back and getting other opportunities to fill out this roster. At the end of the day, man, as we always like to say, there's going to be a lot of action here. I'm putting a name up on the board for you just to keep in mind. Troy Anderson, linebacker, Montana State, inside linebacker, Steele, just mentioning the name for you. Put it in your mind. As we get towards the draft day, we're going to talk about here is my group of players all the way through the draft that I would love to see the Giants collect in any form or fashion. Got two more days to go. You know that I'm going to keep doing some mock drafts over on YouTube, so you can check those out. You get the podcast wherever you get those needs fulfilled. And as Andy Makowitz would want, need, and always demand the people know. As always, let's go Big Blue.